Hey y'all, this is uh, Chris Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about the um, you know, the same thing we've been talking about <laughs> for what, nine months now? Uh, coronavirus at the top of the show. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, some things that have been going on, you know, nationally. There's a there's a story that you probably have heard about in Nashville that needs some uh, discussion. Um, we also got word last week about the new city council committee assignments, which is a very interesting topic, and we're going to have to dig into that one. Uh, we also have a story that came out about some funds that disappeared from uh, the state public utilities commission, uh, as well as a very not in any way surprising turn of events relating to Prop 22 and the absolutely shit, uh, you know, vulture capitalists that are trying to destroy uh, the lives of everyday Angelinos and people across the great state of California. Uh, and we're also going to be joined by Terry to talk about a lovely piece uh, from the LA Times. Uh, and, but first, things first, uh, how's everything going for you, Bushido? Uh, it's going all right. Uh, 2020 is almost over. And so that, that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, 2021 is about ready to begin and that, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because as, as you know, I've been thinking like the, the cynical asshole that I am, uh, mm -hmm. you know, 2020 isn't the worst year ever. It's the first of all the worst years to come, you know, like this was... <laughs> This was us paying admission to the collapse. This is the worst so, year so far. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what it's going to be like from here on out. Like, climate collapse is not stopping. Like, we're going to get through no. COVID. We've got a light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccines are rolling out. We're getting to, you know, hopefully a point in the next year or two years where, like, we will officially be over this pandemic. We'll be out of yeah. it. We'll no longer be seeing tens of thousands of people dying every week. Um, but that doesn't mean other things aren't going to continue to get worse. Yes. And those other things that are going to continue to get worse, you can't inoculate yourself against. Like, ecosystems collapse. You can't inoculate yourself against that. You know, no. over the, the, the fall, um, hundreds of thousands of birds just fell out of the sky I, in the southwestern yeah. U.S. because I just they were saw malnourished over months. Like, it wasn't like they, yeah. they went hungry for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. No. Like, for months, the point where, like, the most important muscles in their body, their major flight wings, uh, flight wing, their major flight muscles were yep. eaten by their bodies for energy. And that's like yep. if you're starving so much, your body starts digesting your major muscles like your your legs and your arms. And that only happens when your body is literally starving for nutrients. So um, that's bad Ray and it's going to suck. And it's yeah, it's going to be. It's not going to get better. Um, so that on that lovely note, I do want to talk about a couple of pieces of what appear to be right-wing violence. Um, but it's kind of hard to track down at this point because um, motives haven't been stated. Um, we yep. know who are responsible for these two, two acts. But let's go ahead and we'll start out in Nashville where an RV loaded with some type of an explosive, I still haven't seen a report on what, uh, exploded in the early morning of uh, Christmas Day right in front of an AT&T transmission center, uh, which mm -hmm. controlled basically all of the phone and internet and um, really important communication channels for the region around Nashville, um, blew up. Uh, apparently, Anthony Quinn Warner, who was 63 and from the Nashville area, was in the RV, which was his RV. Um, 
He damaged 41 businesses uh, and buildings in the area, including that AT&T data center, like I mm -hmm. said, uh, which knocked out 911 service in Nashville. It stopped flights at the regional airport. Yep. It knocked out uh, phone service across the region, knocked out internet service for a lot of people in the region. Like, this was a major data link hub. This was a major piece of communications infrastructure that he was apparently targeting. Like, he parked right in front of that building. He told people to evacuate through a warning message, which, like, okay, cool, I guess. Like, thanks. We will probably never know how many people's lives were put in jeopardy by 911 systems going down. We yep. know that, like, all the communications to the prisons in the area were stopped. So, like, if you were trying to call a family member who's incarcerated in the Nashville area on Christmas, on Christmas Day, Day, you couldn't get through. No one was killed. Uh, three people were injured. Well, nobody except for Mr. Uh, Mr. Warner. Um, yep. But, you know, I, not to not to be too cold-hearted about it, but, like, fuck that guy. Um, yeah. And so one of the weirder twists in this story. So uh, before his death, and apparently a couple months before this happened also— uh, Mr. Warner deeded his properties in Nashville uh, to a woman who's a mother of two here in Southern California. Uh, she doesn't really know why this happened, um, but he gave her almost a half million dollars worth of property because in Tennessee, you're allowed to just sign a deed over to someone for free. Like, and they don't even need to sign it. Like, you can literally just give someone your house and they don't have to accept it or anything. You can just give that to them and it's their job to figure out what to do. Um <laughs> Why? It's just really weird. Like the FBI is still investigating why he gave it to this particular woman. She's been pretty tight lipped about it with the press saying, I'm just talking to the FBI about it. But all in all, a really, really weird story. Now, I want to flag like we don't know why he did this. He didn't leave no. a note. There's been no statement. There's no manifesto. We're not sure why he did this. So there's a lot of speculation. But I want to, you know, kind of like pivot real quickly to another piece of seemingly random violence that went down in Illinois a couple of days ago yep. where a sergeant in the special operations in the army uh, opened fire in a bar connected to a bowling alley. He killed three and he injured three. His name is Duke Webb. He's apparently 33 years old. He has been arrested and charged. Um, so far, excuse me, so far the local authorities are saying it seems like completely random violence. They don't know why he shot the people he shot or why he shot up that particular bar at all. But if you look at right-wing spaces on Telegram, on some of the Chan boards, on places like that, a lot of people are speculating that these are Q or MAGA-linked kind of shootings and bombings, that Mr. Warner may have been targeting the coming 5G network, which apparently yeah. he did have a little bit of a conspiracy bent, but nothing conclusive has been proven. For Mr. Webb, like, nobody knows, but people are trying to um, perhaps um, project right-wing MAGA and QAnon stuff onto him. What's clear, though, is whether or not these guys were operating with that mindset, they're being celebrated by the people with that mindset. Like, the people who Correct. want to see right-wing violence are saying, this is the kind of violence that we want to see. We want to see more of this. And honestly, I expect to see more of it. Like, the Million MAGA yep. march in D.C. a few weeks ago, that turned real violent, super yep. violent. Those, those people are not backing down. Like, nope. we still have to make it to January 20th for uh, for um, I almost called him Hunter for uh, Joe Biden to uh, get inaugurated. I mean, hey, maybe maybe they pull a fast one and we actually get like Hunter Biden as our next president. Like, I'd be oh, okay God. with that. It'd be, gonna, it'd be a lot of fun. They're gonna let him be. They're gonna let uh, Joe be in there for like one week, and they're gonna be like, pull the lever, Kamala's in charge now. It's gonna be. I mean, yeah. Oh God, Jesus. Her tweet on Christmas Day saying to check in on your single friends because this is the first Christmas they spent alone. Like, I'm sorry, Madam Vice President. What the fuck? Um, but that's a that's a completely different tangent. But we got to make it to January 20th. 
There's some people out there who want to stop us from being able to get to January 20th. There are people who are literally trying to sue Mike Pence to make him steal the election, which he can't actually do. Um, I do find that one thoroughly amusing. I mean, and like uh, Lynn Wood, the the one of the like craziest QAnon fucking MAGA attorneys out there is going like just buck wild on Twitter. Um, A lot of people are leaving the stratosphere. They're just going into orbit. Like, Chris, the dreams that you and SpaceX had to get humans just into orbit, these QAnon folks are just blowing right by you. They're they're right. going out past the fucking moon. No, so, so, so that that would be referred to as a single stage to orbit. That is, they 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 rely upon a single conspiracy theory to just blast themselves all the way up into the stratosphere and achieve the orbital velocity requirement of around seventeen thousand miles per hour. Uh, yeah, of just blowing yeah. that much hot air out of their assholes. So. Yeah, I- Thank you for the technical explanation. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> but this is uh, what I want to what I want to wrap this up all saying is 2021 doesn't mean safety. It yep. means more danger. Like yep. the we protect us part has got to become front and center to your mind. Like we really have to be careful now. There are people out there who are going to do crazy shit and it's going to get worse as climate collapse and systems collapse accelerates. People are going to panic. This is not cool and I don't want to be alarmist. But shit's going to get bad, but we can mitigate that damage to an extent. But we got to organize. We got to organize locally. We got to organize communally. We got to take care of our neighbors. We got to take care of each other. We got to make sure that everyone has what they need because we can totally provide for that. Like the COVID conspiracies come out of a lack of good public information, a lack of good public leadership. We got to start turning the tide on that one. And like, I don't think Joe is going to be the model for that. It's got to be us who be the model for that. So anyways, Chris, after so me going on is that and on when and you on, say oh. Joe, it makes me think of Buscaino and I mean, Joey Buckets, you know. like definitely not a leader on anything other than being very red in city council. I um, mean, we'll, 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 we'll get to committee assignments in yeah. a minute. Cause unfortunately he does get to lead some stuff, but I was going to ask like, Hey, how are you doing before we get to your very depressing oh. rundown of, of COVID in California? Okay. Well, I'll hide that for the moment. Um, I'm doing all right. You know, uh, this, this was, uh, my first time, uh, as, as Kamala predicted that, that spoke to me because it was actually my first time, uh, stuck not being able to see my family for Christmas, uh, which sucked. Uh, it sucked a lot, but you know, powering through and, uh, continuing to do the work because the work never ceases. So here we are, uh, three days after Christmas hanging out. On a Monday evening, uh, putting together a little podcast for the news. Uh, yeah, you know, just just hanging out, doing stuff around the place, uh, cooking a bunch, and uh, re- reviving my sourdough starter because I am still going nice. strong. Uh, one year in, basically, uh, I am still going strong on the sourdough kick. Um, haven't been baking that much lately because it's still been hot as shit when you're up on the twelfth floor. The kombucha uh, came out really well, though. I tricked Chris great. into making kombucha, and it's really good. <laughs> nice. Well, I've got a. I, I showed you. I sent you pictures today. I've got a uh, a batch of hard kombucha rolling up, which is kind of fun because it's you know it's a cup of water, a cup of sugar, and a half of a packet of active champagne yeast. Uh, nice. And voila, I'm going to be turning uh, my gallon of kombucha into uh, the, the gallon of the post-primary fermentation ready for the secondary fermentation kombucha. This is, we're going to definitely be turning this into a kombucha podcast at some point. And uh, just a heads up for anyone out there that's listening and is not into that, like just be warned, it's going to come up a lot. 
I'm growing stuff in my garden. We're going to become the the tastiest, most bougie prepper podcast you've ever seen. That's our pivot for 2021, folks. Surprise! I but, got a uh, juicer. Get... <laughs> but let's uh, let's turn to the news of the year, Chris. Let's uh, let's oh, round this out me. with. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, it's it's bad. It's it's bad, it's folks. Really That's fucking a spoiler. Um, it's it's. So actually, LA County isn't as bad as like everything else, but uh, fucking California numbers are off the goddamn chart. Um, yep. Excuse me, real quick. Uh, as of this week, and this is also uh, homebrew uh, <laughs> homebrew beer that I'm drinking now because I am literally just self sufficient on all of these things at this point. Uh, give me some grain, and then I can turn it into liquid carbohydrates. Uh, as of this recording. Fuck. Uh, we now have 2.192 million, so we're at 2,192,127 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. That is 289,772 new cases in just this past week, which is and fucked. I, I, I want to point out, you know, it took us eight months to get to a million cases. Yes. It took us six weeks to get to two million cases. Like We are... I mean, we're gonna so we're gonna scary. hit we're we're gonna hit you know three million in another another month, probably. Like this is less than that. Like we at this rate, we are two weeks, three weeks tops from hitting three yeah. million cases. And and it's, based on based on the the idea that probably fifty percent of the cases out there are undiagnosed. Like at this point, we're looking at almost. 20% of the state of California probably has had COVID at some point in the last year. Yep. It's super fucked. Um, what we had. Uh, so last week I, I said, and I've got it in my script so I can know that I said it. Uh, we, we, I quoted that it was an unbelievably high number of confirmed cases uh, yesterday of, well, 28,319, which is actually more than we had the Sunday, the last week. Uh, but today so far already, we have seen 62,000 978 new cases just today. So this graph that I'm showing right now hasn't been updated to show another tier above where it's at because it's just the numbers are so fucking off the charts that the uh, LA Times folks who are working, you know, into the later hours of the evening uh, just haven't updated that shit yet because unfucking believable. Um, we are still continuing to see. Uh, the Latino population of the state of California being disproportionately impacted at 5,000 cases per 100,000. 5% of the Latino population in the state of California has been infected, compared to just around 2.5% for the black population and around 2% for whites, Asians, and uh, closer to one5 for the uh, other classification. Uh, when we're looking at the positivity testing, which is really what is one of the most shocking things when you look at the context of what people were talking about back at the beginning of the fall for those steam. I mean, I, I keep bringing it up over and over again because mm -hmm. uh, the New York public school system was, you know, they were going to go into lockdown and shut down all the schools once they hit like three and a half percent positivity or 3% or whatever the number was. We're just blasting right the fuck past that at 11.3%, uh, which is great that we're seeing a decrease from last week um, where we were at over 13%, but still, yeah, I mean, that's still fun. a that's still super high. And having like 10 percent of the, the cases uh, testing positive, more than 10 percent of the cases is putting us like pretty 
close to or pretty much over an R value of one plus. And that's when things get really scary is because that means that every person who's infected is infecting another person. And that number begins to climb. And that's when you get to the exponential increases where pandemics just spin all the way fucking out of control. And here we are. So we're looking at the intensive care units and other hospitalizations across the state of California. And the numbers just continue to climb. They seem to maybe be starting to plateau out. But at the same time, we're literally just running out of hospital beds. Like, we are down to 1,385 ICU beds across the entire fucking state for 40 million people. That's it. Like, we're, we're, we're at half of where we were at uh, back, you know, in mid-October. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Uh, when you look at it by region, uh, Bay Area is now under, you know, the they, they've, they have now gone below the critical point of 15%. Sacramento is toying with it. Northern California is actually pretty safe right now, but San Joaquin and Southern California are both just plowed down all the way to 0% to the point where the, when, it, when they say 0% of uh, availability of uh, ICU beds, we talked about this last week and we'll talk about it again just briefly here. That doesn't mean that there are literally no ICU beds available. It means that there are no ICU beds available for COVID patients. Uh, yeah. They have to maintain some of those ICU beds for people who are dealing with other critical health, uh, you know, catastrophes in their lives. Like yeah. if you get if you get into a car accident, there needs to be an ICU bed available for you. Like we're talking about, there are no more rooms available. There are no more beds available for COVID patients. We are at the point now that they are just having to do triage, uh, and it's super fucked. Uh, when you well, and they, they're also they've started converting some ERs into uh, places yeah. to hold ICU patients because they're technically out of ICU beds. A lot of people Jesus. are being turned away, like people who would have been admitted and hospitalized a few months ago are now basically being a, being given a prescription and sent home and told like, hey, if it gets way worse, come back. But even then, we can't guarantee we've got a place for you. Uh, ambulances have been circling between hospitals for up to eight hours just to be able Jeez. to offload a patient. Because here's one of the things is like. If you walk into an ER on your own two feet, they have to treat you. They have to take you in at that hospital. If you're coming in on an ambulance, there's a little bit of negotiation. And they can tell that ambulance crew, hey, we're not taking that patient right now. Go find another hospital. And then you're on the horn calling the next hospital and saying, hey, can you take this patient while you're driving over there in case they say yes, just so you don't have to reroute too far. You're three quarters of the way there. They say, no, we have no room for them. You're calling the next hospital and you're routing there. And you might just be ping-ponging between those four or five regional hospitals until one of them says, okay, we can finally take you in, pull into the bay. Jesus. And there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, congratulations on the new gig. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, shit's super fucked up. Uh, when we're looking at the deaths by day, um, we are what we're at 24,536 deaths of the, due to the virus uh, in the state of California. 64 of them yesterday. Fucking 248 so far today. Seven-day average is hovering right around 230, 250. Um, yeah, it's completely. And the, and the majority of the majority of those deaths coming in LA County, where we have seen as much as many as 148 people dying in one day. Uh, it seems yeah. like we're no longer setting daily records, but for about the past week, every day was a new record. Every single day was a new record. So here we are. Speaking of L.A. County, we're up to 734,860 confirmed cases of COVID-19 here in the county of Los Angeles. 12,497 new cases reported yesterday. Another 14,900 reported so far today. We've had 98,670 new cases since we recorded one week ago. 
uh, and when you look at like the the number of you know we we're seeing cases spike by up to thirty thousand cases in a single day last week. Uh, there was no literally zero cases reported on I believe Christmas Day, um, which is definitely going to fuck with the numbers. You can actually see that there on this on this chart. It is the little white sliver. Uh, at the end there, which is probably why the 26th was just so absolutely fucking bonkers. But here we are. Um, when it comes to hospitalization, we're looking at around 7,000 people that have been hospitalized in LA County with COVID-19. Around 14, 1,500 of them are uh, in ICU situations. We're down to 384 maximum beds. Uh, again, this is at considered to be 0%. Um, and the number of deaths by day for COVID-19 here in LA County is just absolutely fucked. We have been seeing multiple days with well over 100 deaths per day uh, in the past week or two. And we are, are now, our seven-day average is hovering just shy of 100. We're up to 9,564 deaths in the county due to virus and 44 yesterday, 79 so far today. But the day is not done. <sighs> and yeah, everything is super fucked. Um, but here's the one that is, this is the one that caught me off guard. Um, what was it yesterday when I sent this to you, Bushido? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, that, and I, I have a feeling, and this is, this is, you know, the way this graph looks, uh, to me does not look supernatural. Like mm -hmm. the, uh, the department of corrections and especially like the LA County Sheriff's department has been catching a lot of heat about the reporting of actual COVID infections. So I think this big spike we're seeing is them catching up with the actual numbers. And I think that this graph should have been a lot higher for most of this reporting. And they've just been lying about the rates of uh, COVID infections amongst the incarcerated. And so now that is, they've been caught lying enough. They're having to do some reporting on it. Yeah, but this is yeah. this is only state prisons. This is, does not count yeah. the county correctional facilities. This does not count immigration detention centers. It doesn't count local jails. It does not count federal prisons. All of the, this is literally just the state, and it it just shows that like they have been fucking lying to us about yep. how this pandemic is infecting is affecting uh, incarcerated individuals, uh, many of whom are you know uh, you know suffering under the 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 long term ramifications of the war on drugs, and I I cannot. Like every time that you start thinking about like where we're at right now in the 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 grand scheme of you know the the war on drugs and and, and the the massive explosion of the carceral complex uh, that was in no small way a result of the ninety four crime bill authored by uh, our president elect. Uh, it's just there is so much fucking work to do. There's yep. so much fucking work to do. And the fact that like people, if you wanted to try to communicate with your loved ones in Nashville area and they were incarcerated, you couldn't do it on Christmas day uh, because we had a terrorist attack going on. I don't care what the, what the hell his motivations were. He was a fucking terrorist yeah. End of story. Oh and yeah. He was yeah. a white. He's terrorist. a white suicide bomber. Yeah. He's a white suicide bomber, but like neither you nor I have been asked to uh, disavow no. Uh, white suicide bomber terrorism, Chris. I wonder why that is. <laughs> there's a lot of people that have to call about that. 
Um, yeah, no, it, it's 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 massively fucked. So uh, everything is fucked. I don't want to go through the maps. Um, it's just super fucked. Uh, so uh, let's see. Should we just go ahead and uh, bring Terry in here to talk about the uh, city council stuff? No, let's uh, let's bring him in uh, after the city council stuff. All right, we will we will do that. So then, city council um, committee announcements. The the uh, so I don't know that everybody necessarily understands uh, or knows what the hell goes on here, but um, one of the rules relating to city council is that as a member of the council, there are fifteen of them. Uh, you must be the uh, appointed as the chair of one of the various committees. Uh, that exists. Uh, and then there are various numbers of members per committee uh, between three and seven, depending upon the size of the committee. If you have more than seven members, you would actually be in violation of the Brown Act because that would con constitute a voting uh, uh, quorum for the full city council in one of these committees. So if you've got a full seven-member committee, which we'll be talking about one such seven-member committee here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the eye which roll is, is intentional. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, what that means, and I'm just realizing this as we're talking about it, um, no, one in it from, no one from outside of the committee can come and speak to the committee because if anyone from outside the committee speaks to the committee, so you know, if Nithya or Bonin decided to come and speak to this particular committee, uh, we would be having a violation of the Brown Act. So this is, I don't know if Nuri intended it this way, but she is officially shutting uh, Nithya and Mike Bonin out of having anything to be, be able to have any and, kind of a comment and, or say anything at this committee. And Kevin DeLeon. And Kevin DeLeon. <laughs> yeah. Like the names, the names that, the names that aren't on that committee is very conspicuous, but we'll get to that yeah. one in a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a, it is a little bit of a mess. That does, it does still mean that they can get public comment. It does mean that they can get like staff members from those offices to come talk to them. But the fact that they loaded this committee up that way is, is very interesting, but let's, uh, let's talk about the stuff that didn't change because when it comes down to it, 12 oh. of the 15 members of city council are exactly the same as they were before 2021 or before December 14th, 2020, when the new members officially took office, but we only had, Two new members take office that day, Mark Ridley-Thomas and Nithya Rahm. And Kevin DeLeon Correct. had already been seated because yep. Jose Weizar, being a, a crime-doing crime-doer who did all of the crime— Allegedly, uh, allegedly, yeah, allegedly. —was no longer allowed to be <laughs> on city council, um, which is not alleged. He was just, you know, finally they were like, you know, Correct. there there have been so many allegations and so many indictments that it's just, you know, you've been sitting here collecting a salary yeah. for a long while, and now we're going to take away your salary but not your seat— and then after a few months of that, they're like, oh, you know what? We, we actually have somebody that could replace you in the form of Kevin DeLeon, who is like a competent politician, I will say, in that he knows how the pro forma structure of city council and government at large works yep. better than Jose Weizar, uh, was finally allowed to take that seat to represent one of the densest areas of Los Angeles. But so a lot of the committees like didn't change all that much. And it's the same, you know, people kind of just like shuffling the deck and moving some chairs and like this person who was on the committee is now the chair and this person got bumped to this other committee. Uh, one committee I do want to talk about is budget and finance. Yeah. Because the budget and finance committee is very, very special. If you want to do anything that spends money in the city of Los Angeles, you have to go through the budget and finance committee. They have to approve it. They have to say, yes, you can do this new spending or, oh, you want to spend money, but you need to tell us where you're taking that money from. So that's a, a zero offset budget. 
And Paul Krikorian and Bob Blumenfeld, uh, Paul Krikorian is going to be the chair, uh, which he was last time, and Bob Blumenfeld is going to be the vice chair. Both pretty hawkish, uh, both pretty big, like, budget hawks, um, which means, yeah, we're going to be seeing a lot of austerity budget for at least the next two years. Um, You know, the city is facing a $600 million shortfall due to COVID, could be bigger, um, definitely isn't going to be smaller. But that $600 million apparently keeps Paul Krikorian up at night in cold sweats because that is all he talks about in council. That is it. Every time he gets to talk about something outside of one of the, like, in memoriam segments, <laughs> it's about the $600 million. And you're just yeah. like, dude, you could have just, like, taxed Elon, but you let him move away. Like, you could have taxed Elon Musk and just gotten that money. You, you could just reabsorb Beverly Hills and tax those people and get all that money. Like, this is a real simple problem to solve when you have the ability to just tax rich people but refuse Why? to do so. Why don't they just put us in charge of these things, Tim? You know, CB5 <laughs> does need a new representative. Uh, but uh, but aside from that, the other thing that went down as far as like budget stuff that I want to note is uh, a few months ago, City Hall, uh, City Council rather, voted to uh, cut LAPD's budget by $150 million, which they didn't actually cut it. What they did was they rolled back some of the increase. Now, city council at the time didn't say what they were going to use that money for. They're just like, hey, we have this extra $150 million. City council decided, hey, we're going to turn this into a slush fund, and we can use it for whatever we want. Sidewalk repairs, um, throwing a really big block party, um, putting it into a money cannon and shooting it out over the people of, like, whatever district. Like, they could have done anything with it. Eric Garcetti came in and he vetoed that, which doesn't send the $150 million back to LAPD. Instead, Eric is going to retask that money for things like police reform and other essential services and priorities. What that's actually going to look like, we don't know. But essentially what he did was he stopped Nuri from having a $150 million slush fund, which is, I think, good. I thought it was weird when Garcetti was poo-pooing the idea of using this for street repairs and sidewalk repairs because – have you seen our sidewalks? They're real like, bad. They're really bad, man. Really we could bad. use $150 million worth of sidewalk yep. repairs. Like, that would be a drop in the bucket of the sidewalk repairs that we need made. But it's sort of a mixed bag. They're, like, kind of good it's, that, like, Nuri doesn't get to have a slush fund, but also kind of bad that, like, that money could be used to improve our daily lives and instead is going well, to be thrown at expensive consultants to tell us how to reform the police. And, and, a, and a big one of the big asks of the people's budget is that the the money actually goes directly to community organizations that provide the kind of uh, you know services that are necessary in these communities, especially those yeah. that have been disproportionately impacted by over policing. You know, we need to be able to fund the kind of interventionists and other social workers who do this work day in and day out, and oftentimes are not being properly paid if they're even paid at all. Like it's it is it is a Basically, it's a thankless job. I mean, the community does appreciate it, but in the grand scheme of things, they're not getting paid for it uh, in a lot of cases, or they're just being underpaid. And it, it, it's it's fucked up that we're asking people to go out there and provide that kind of intervention work without actually giving them the, the proper funding mechanism. Another fun thing worth mentioning about the Budget and Finance Committee is that uh, Kevin DeLeon has replaced Mike Bonin on that committee. Um, mm-hmm. This does appear to be a bit of a uh, tit-for-tat for the fact that Mike Bonin uh, criticized uh, anything from Nuri whatsoever, uh, it's interesting to see that well, Daily yeah. And also, I'm I'm pretty sure that like you know LAPPL was like you know <laughs> get that guy off of that committee. Like 
we, we oh, really sure. don't like Mike Bonin. We don't want to work with him anymore. Um, but yeah, you know, and I think Kevin DeLeon. Oh yeah, I've got I've got mine right back there. Um, you can kind of see him in the shot over over my typewriter. Nice. Um, they're they're my favorite uh, pair of footwear. I will never never ever wear. But you know, you can see a little bit of spitefulness in some of these committee assignments, and I think that's definitely one of them, along with yep. the uh, ad hoc committee on police reform being dissolved entirely. Ooh. Yeah, that that yeah. was that was actually one of the really big ones, which uh, now that means that everything that was originally uh, slated to go to the ad hoc committee on police reform is now, from what I understand, going over to the public safety committee. Uh, yeah. So that means that we're now relying upon Monica Rodriguez, uh, yeah. noted uh, fan of boot leather to uh, make any kind of determinations about how LAPD is going to be changed. So but hey, Chris, whole... don't you don't you have any faith in her vice co-chair, Mitch O'Farrell? Don't you think he's maybe going to be the... the... fuck Christ. Mr. I don't know what a sleep is. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Right? Mr. I have to go to a charity opening. Could you, LAPD, please make all the homeless people disappear so I don't have to fuck. walk for a half a block in front of them? Fuck Mitch. Fuck Mitch O'Farrell. Mr. Like, just... Could you beat up all of the street vendors who are taking away precious, precious revenue from my billionaire donors? The yeah, f- fuck you, Mitch. We're coming for your ass. Um, yeah, no the 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 ad hoc committee. Uh, now we have one on COVID nineteen, which Nuri made herself the chair of. Which surprise, surprise. Uh, well, she also all- she was also the prime mover on the emergency order, and like yep. her and Joey buckets were the two people whose names are on that order, and they have been two of the worst, if not the worst, yep. people on COVID nineteen entirely. Yep. You know when you look at where the map is really, really dark blue in this city right now. It's in Nuri's district and Monica Rodriguez's district. That's not a coincidence. No, it's all fucked up. I mean, it, it is also, it's, it's one of those, um, you know, the the economic factors that play into that are, are, are you cannot avoid them. Um, but I mean, let, me, time- let me just put it this way. You know, like, Power is running a community health worker program with a CARES Act grant, and... Uh, we don't see a lot of uh, Nuri Martinez's staffers out there pounding the pavement with us. They're, they're not out there yeah. doing a lot of COVID outreach. For some reason, like the county of L.A. reached out to a nonprofit and the people whose job it is to take care of their constituents are fucking nowhere to be seen. I mean, also the county of L.A. still hasn't shut down fucking malls. So, yeah, that too. they did. They did find them five hundred dollars. Ooh, oh no whatever will rick caruso do to I mean, find the 500 dollars to pay off the fees for americana running that shit into a fucking gigantic covid hotspot like super spreader i, I imagine galore. i Fuck. i imagine he, i imagine he got a call about that and immediately dug through his couch and just pulled out like 500 dollars because that's just like couch change for him yeah, he's just got loose hundos so like hanging out underneath the cushions Literally using it as toilet paper. I mean, at that point, you know, when your wealth is when you're worth as much money as Rick Caruso, like money is it, it's not a thing that matters anymore. Like it's literally it's mathematically impossible for you to spend it all. I would I would like to hope that he has something a bit more hygienic than a well used hundred dollar bill to be uh, flushing down the toilet for that kind of situation. Also, uh, that would that would cause some plumbing issues. Um, not a good idea. Don't don't use anything. Don't use those flushable wipes either, folks. Throw those in the toilet if you're going to use them. Or no, throws them in the trash. You're going to use them. Don't throw them in the toilet. It causes the fucking fatberg, and destroys the uh, municipal uh, water treatment system. So, don't yeah. do it. Also, don't flush hundred dollar bills down the toilet. What are you insane? Um, 
another fun committee. So this is this is one that we were teasing about earlier. <sighs> they made a fucking committee for the 2028 Olympics. Yep. They made an ad hoc committee for the 2028 Olympics, and they put Mitch O'Farrell as the fucking chair and Joe goddamn Buscaino as the vice chair. And they added five more fucking members to it because why not put seven people on that committee? It's Jesus Christ. No, and the fact that Mitch O'Farrell is the chair of the 2028 games like makes a lot of sense. Like a lot of the um, a lot of what's going to be happening around the 2028 games is going to be happening in Hollywood. Like that's where they're probably going to put the the press village. Like the media yep. village is going to be in Hollywood. They're planning to basically tear down all the affordable housing in Hollywood so that they can build fancy hotels for a two week yep. event um, that Angelinos will not benefit from or even want coming to our city. And the the people that are on this committee are basically being set up for like very fancy consultantships after they leave office, you know, after they're finally termed out. Like they're going to be able to take their connections from this committee and turn it into very big paydays for themselves in the private sector. And this is, you know, the fact that it is the biggest committee that city council has is telling. The fact that it was built in such a way that no other city council member can come and show up and give testimony to that committee is very telling. Uh, the fact that like the spreadsheet that they produce about the committee assignments isn't even big enough to hold this many committee members and some of the, the rows just say name one slash name two says a lot. <laughs> like so, everything about this stinks. It does. And the other five members of that committee are uh, Nuri Martinez herself, of course, Paul Coretz, of course, Monica Rodriguez, of course. Uh, Corinne Price definitely not having anything to do with any of the corruption around stadium development and land grabs and things like that. No, yeah. he definitely doesn't have any kind of a track record on that. And oh, and Paul Krikorian. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but about 50% of the people on this committee uh, were connected to the Raymond Chan affair. Raymond Chan being the deputy mayor who was just uh, (laughs) indicted uh, for his role in corruption in City Hall. And the people who were paying him uh, were also paying big money to people like Joey Buckets and Nuri Martinez. So, you know, but it's just – yeah, no, and current price would be the the third one. Um, I don't think any of the other names were directly mentioned in that one. No. Um, but I, I know it was, you know, Martinez, Price, and Buscaino were definitely directly connected to Raymond Chan. So, <sighs> you know, when we were looking at a big cash grab like the Olympics, why should you care that people with a history of demonstra- demonstrable corruption are the ones making those calls? I, I don't know, I Chris. Don't know. I feel like, you know. I feel like, you, you know, I you was born at night, but I wasn't born last night sort of thing. Hey. And I think city council keeps making that mistake with Angelinos. God damn it. But uh, let's so let's turn to stuff. some good news at least because there was yes. like, you know, Nithya Raman won. We keep talking about this. We're really excited about it. We're going to continue to be really excited about it, um, mm-hmm. at least for her next two terms after she gets reelected and then re-reelected. Um, but Nithya, Nithya is going to be chairing the Information Technology and General Services uh, Committee, which – One, these committees seem like a grab bag in a lot of ways, and I'm going to point out another committee where they just seem to have been like, "What's a? What are three things that city council does? Let's just throw those together into a a melange, and we'll just sort of sort of go with that." But that's good because general services handles a lot of the accounting, a lot of the direct engagement between Angelinos and city hall, insofar as like street sweeping and other stuff like that goes, and like the way we pay people, the way we handle pensions and benefits at a city level. Like that's a good place for for Nithya to have ended up. They also, um, also handle uh, public comment 
and how the you know how the 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 city clerk's website uh, operates. And uh, I'm really hopeful that we'll see something where maybe they're able to go and pull uh, the county's public comment system and clone it and use that yeah. for the city council well, because. There is- there amazing. is now a there is now a comment section or a comment portal on the LA City Hall website, so you can give electronic comment. But it is it is not as efficient as the uh, the one for the county, where when you go to the county, it just gives you the agenda. You click on what item you want to comment on. You say I'm for it or I'm against it, and then you can write a little comment, and you can just go down the whole agenda and do that. For LA City Council, they're like, tell us what agenda item you want. Tell us what council file number you want, and just like. They're clearly trying to make it hard for you to just jump in and make a comment real easily because they frankly don't want to hear from you. But uh, Nithya is also going to be the vice chair on the housing committee uh, with Gil Cedillo uh, as the chair of the housing committee, which like cedillo has been making some moves around Hillside Villa. I'll give him that. The rest of his career is just absolute crap. And the fact that that guy – He's been the chair of this fucking committee for a long time, and he has been the number one obstacle toward actually making any real progress on, on the introduction of, like, social housing in, this, in the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, he gets the fuck in the way all the time, period. Yep. Like, he, he is, is not an ally on this stuff. Sometimes yeah. he can be helpful. With Hillside Villa, he has been helpful, but he had to be pushed. Oh, yeah. It took it took months of protest, of letter writing, of people showing up at his house, of people showing up at the city council, for him to finally be like, "Oh, hey, these really abusive slumlords. Like, maybe we should wag a finger at them and see if that if that gets them to change their tune." Um, yeah, not not super effective, but you know, he's uh, Gil. Gil's gonna be leaving sometime soon. We'll get to replace him. So just you know. Keep your fingers crossed on that one. But uh, lastly, Nithya is also on the Homelessness and Poverty Committee, which is really good. She belongs there. I don't know why she's yeah. not chairing it, seeing as, like, she's one of the people who started effing Sela and went to MIT to study urban planning and, like, has actually done this stuff in the field. Uh, instead, that committee is going to be chaired by Mark Ridley Thomas, which – I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of like innate racism going on there where they're like, hey, we're going to put the black guy in charge of like the homelessness committee, you know, like the same way that the person who ends up in charge of HUD tends to be a black person. Like we have these weird silos where we we sort of racialize who we want in those positions, who we think is going to be good. And it, it sort of tends to look one way. And like it seems like it's good for diversity. But in fact, you're getting a very different message coming from that and you're also getting Mark Ridley Thomas who's like an incredibly wealthy and corrupt person who doesn't work with the homeless. He has no on the ground experience doing things with the unhoused community or working with encampments. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on out there and, and he, he really doesn't shitty care. track record. Like oh, his yeah. track record at the county is not good on these things. And the other thing who's, is that the I was going to say who's excited to see obligation to shelter become reality in LA City because I'm definitely not. The fact that he goes on that fucking blue ribbon, ribbon committee at the state level is absolutely goddamn absurd. But uh, anyway, the other the other couple members of that committee that terrify me is the fact that fucking Joey Buckets got on there and Monica Rodriguez. So two people who are definitely not in any way allies of the unhoused population in this city are now on the committee that makes the determinations of what the fuck happens. But Chris, we need we need all of Joe's information about the buckets full of feces. Jesus Christ. That's going to be seeing slideshow after slideshow after slideshow of all of these goddamn sidewalks that are not often sidewalks and are just fucking dirt by the side of the road that have tents on them. And he's like, oh, but the sidewalks, it's unsafe for people to be walking in the streets like motherfucker. There was no sidewalk there to begin with. 
And also, have you seen the regular sidewalks that are all fucked up that you can't take a wheelchair across <laughs> yep. anyways? Like, come on, or Joey. Come on. Fuck it. He's, yeah. He's a piece uh, of shit. Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, Bonin got booted off of public safety, and you can, you yep. know, infer what you want from that one. It's um, pretty fucked up. And then my favorite one, though, um, is you see John Lee. Uh, he only got – he got one committee, and he is going to be chairing the Arts, Parks, <laughs> Health, Education, and Neighborhoods Committee – which again, ah. it's like they they just like reached into a bag with all the jobs that City Hall has. They just like <laughs> pulled words out of it and all threw it together on a vision board. And they're like, "That's the committee." And uh, what John Lee has to do with any of those things, I don't know. But I will say that the modern art market is basically money laundering. And so having City uh, Staffer B uh, heading the money laundering committee. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, like, yeah. what he has to say about parks, health, education, or neighborhoods, I haven't a fucking clue. I haven't they kept a clue. Them on plum, do I know how any of those things go together. I don't know how arts, parks, health, education, and neighborhoods go together other than there's not a lot of money to be, like, stolen there. So maybe that's why they put <laughs> Lee there. Is they're like, but, all right, what's the committee where we can put our most corrupt member where he just can't steal that much? But like, he's got the plum assignment. Plum. He's still on. Well, but he's not. But he's not the chair of Plum. And as we learned from Weezer, the real power and the real ability to like con your way into money on Plum is to be the chair of the Plum committee. Like you've got a lot more power when you're sitting in that position. Uh, But yeah, so we'll we'll let you know uh, as these things develop. Marquise is going to be the chair of Plum. Yeah, yeah. Another, another. Yeah, Marquis Harris Dawson is. Yeah, it's. He's not as bad as Curran Price, who's got a you know a <laughs> you wife know, who does consulting in developments. Um, yeah. But yeah, before we get too bogged down in that, we will let you know as like the committees develop and like what they're doing. We'll keep you up to date on that. Um, I will note, you can't go to the LA City Hall website and get this list of committee assignments, even though it's public information. Like it, this is public information. It should be out there. This is literally our city government. And you can't know by going to the L.A. City Hall website who is chairing the committees that are going to be just making major decisions about your life. This is absolute and utter fucking incompetence and laziness on a level that I just don't get. We have an $11 billion a year budget. We are a tech city in Eric Garcetti's words. And we can't even get a fucking Excel spreadsheet up in less than a month. Like – the city, the city hall staffers claim that they're not going to have this information until January. Fuck you. You had this information on the 15th when these assignments were announced in public. What are you fucking talking about? I am I like, ugh. I really, I, I don't know why people at city hall feel bad that we all hate them when they treat us with absolute disdain. Like you can't just shit on people all the time and expect them to say thank you, right? Like let them eat cake is not a good thing to keep saying over and over again. It doesn't tend to work out well for the people who say it. So with that, uh, you want to bring in Terry? Yeah. I wanted to make sure that we get a little bit of a, a thank you to our, our special boy. Uh, yeah. Garcetti for little, all little of his bit contributions. Of dancing, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, we we got to get more gifts for next year. I know we do. We need more reaction gifts. We need more content for this. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it, it is interesting doing, to see with the, the Garcetti uh, rejection of the um, yeah uh, fuck it we've already talked about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Terry, hi. Hey, no, it was good to see Garcetti. You know, we don't get a chance to see him very often. <laughs> uh, well, especially now that he's sequestered at home because like his family has COVID. Like he's got to he's got to stay even more hidden than normal. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, no, th- uh, doing all right. Doing all right, Good. guys. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it's always great to be here. I, yeah, I kind of I feel I feel for you being back in Chicago because like it kind of rained here and that's you know that's as cold as it gets here. here so well yeah fair enough but it hailed in some parts of la so like we got a little bit of a of a white christmas here going on so you know i definitely i definitely can sympathize and empathize with what y'all are, are going through in the windy city somebody posted yeah, pictures uh, uh saying that they had snow on their driveway in hollywood and everyone was like no that's 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 hail that's not snow yeah well you, uh <laughs> You know, climate change and global warming uh, uh, kind of attacks every corner. So uh, yeah. we're only we are only around freezing here. Oh, wow. okay, okay. A, a balmy winter in Chicago. It, it is. It is indeed. We had a dusting of snow uh, for Christmas, and and that was about it. So wow. I, I hope you packed your flip flops. <laughs> and... <laughs> Anyways. So uh, to to turn back to L.A., you know, in a weird, a weird, like serendipitous, like the great conjunction brought things into reality. Uh, you have an L.A. Times piece that you want to talk about, but like that's good. Yes. Uh, my lower third uh, L.A. Times appreciator is not ironic. I would like to reserve uh, the, the prerogative, you know, reserve the right to to use this again uh, in, a, in a completely ironic way. But today, today I, I want to give a shout out to whoever it was that ran this op-ed. Um, the author, unfortunately, was uh, we had to cut it off to make the graphic fit. Um, Eduardo Halfon is a Guatemalan author. Uh, and if you Google him, he's apparently a badass. Has written uh, about 14 books. Three have been translated into English. Multiple, multiple awards. Um, he's only about eight years older than myself, which is upsetting, but, um, anyway, so, so this op-ed, uh, a famous uh, title, a famous novel disintegrates on a final read. It's a fitting end. Um, it opens, he's walking through a park in Paris. He passes a, a park bench on the bench is a copy of Newt Hampson's, uh, hunger, which I'm sure many of us in LA have that on our bookshelves. Um, and it seems like it's sitting there just for him. So he sits down, begins reading. As he turns the first page, it comes off in his hand. It just tears out. The second page, on and on it goes. He finds himself so absorbed in the in the story that he, in one sitting, he he reads the whole thing. And when he's done, it's just a, a pile of papers, uh, loose loose sheets next to him. Um, does this actually, I mean, it's, it's just, so the whole op-ed is just a story. And, you know, does this actually happen? Probably not as he described it. Um, but, you know, hunger is one of those that, you know, sort of is generally agreed upon that it launched modern literature, right? I mean, it was just so seminal for everything that we think of as like psychological and interiority um, realism. So we get to the last couple of paragraphs here and uh, I'll, I'll read them for you guys. So weeks or perhaps months passed before I learned that Hampson, after visiting the United States, called black Americans, quote, a people without a history, without traditions, without a brain, a slave people without pride and honor, a mob from ancient times who let themselves be whipped for 75 cents and lied to for 25, end quote. 
I also discovered <laughs> I also discovered that he sent the medal for his Nobel Prize in Literature to Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels as a tribute, and that he then had a famous meeting with Adolf Hitler, whom he admired and praised, later even eulogizing him, saying, quote, Hitler was a warrior, a warrior for humankind, and a preacher of the gospel of justice for all nations, and we, his close followers, bow our heads at his death, end quote. Yeah. Ooh, yikes. Uh, so, uh, the final paragraph of this op-ed, uh, I think, is just, this is, this is where it gets good, right? And I asked myself if knowing these things beforehand would have changed my reading of the book. I asked myself if I would have read it at all, or if I would have left it sitting there on the bench, perfectly placed, as someone else had done before me. I asked myself if all those scattered pages fluttering around a small plaza in the south of France were not only no longer a book, but also no longer anything sublime, no longer anything transcendent, no longer anything. I asked myself what remains then, once a book and its writer have ceased to exist, once both have inevitably become dust and soil and loose scraps of paper. I asked myself this, what should we do in the end with beautiful words penned by a hideous hand. And the reason that I want to, um, you know, I want to kind of elevate this is <clears throat> in here we are in Hollywood in the, you know, post Me Too era where we are asking ourselves a lot of these questions. And what we see, this is where I'm getting my media criticism part. <laughs> what, we, what we see in the op-ed pages is this centrist, centrist garbage that is supposedly the very serious people who are the adults in the room that they're just <clears throat> regurgitate the 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 you know count the contrarian opinions and and whatever and and they're going to write this argumentative little essay that's going to convince you that whatever you thought is you know oh too too left too right too whatever um you know i uh, my pro professionally, I, I, I teach argumentative writing. I, <clears throat> I teach op-eds basically um, at university and they never work, right? They don't change anyone's mind. Uh, it's, it's a complete scam. And, and yet this is what, you know, Brett Stevens gets paid $150,000, $200,000 a year to do. Oh, fuck. And so here we have an op-ed, you know, we have this sort of short, piece of you know literature basically I mean, it's a story it's a you know it's well written um that leaves us thinking you know it doesn't tell you that oh we should cancel cancel culture or oh we should whatever it just presents you with a story and then a question and we're stuck sitting with that mm -hmm. question um and so i very much appreciate the la times for for running that and i think that's the kind of thing that we should you know, we should we deserve to have more of. Yeah. No, it's actually it's it's one of the few LA Times articles I've read that didn't leave me with either a simmering anger or just sort of like a, a, a simpish like I, I'm stupider for having read this thing. Um, and it actually taught me stuff about that author that I did not know because I've read Human and I didn't realize that or sorry, Hunger. And I did not realize that they were such a fan of Adolf Hitler like that actually yeah. came as a surprise to me. Right. And how, how does one reconcile those those two things? You know, you know just an absolute trash human being. Um, but 
you know, it's like, it, can you then separate the two, you know, or in a way that, that we have, and I think rightly so, and I'll go back to the film sets, um, because if you have people who are, you know, in, in close proximity with one another, like uh, committing sexual assault and, and real violence, I mean, yes, that needs to be stopped, and no, those people should not be working. You know, you got somebody sitting in their 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 small room, you know, banging something out on a typewriter, and that goes off. Well, is that is that different, or you know, they're just complicated questions um, that something like this <clears throat> this particular op-ed like kind of makes you grapple with, in, yeah, in a way that most of the LA Times does not. Yeah. So I guess so. My last question on uh, on this op-ed. Uh, which uh, which streaming service is going to get the prestige TV version of Hunger? Do you think? Oh, that's great! No, I would go with Disney Plus. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> all right. Oh, shit! All right. Well, um, yeah, that that's that's a, a fascinating read. I had no idea that there was that kind of connection to the uh, the Nazis. Um, fascinating little bit of an insight there and uh godwin's law rules the day chris never forget that (laughs) well you know i mean to to be fair if the nobel committee had thought of it they probably would have just given him the prize given the prize directly to goebbels (laughs) (laughs) fucking hell (laughs) (laughs) god damn it that's so bleak I mean, you know, the, the Nobel Prize uh, came about because a dude realized how to blow shit up better than anybody else, and uh, it did not make society better in any way, shape, or form. Oh, um, he was just trying to, you know, trying to make up for the fact that he was responsible for the deaths of, you know, so many people and the destruction oh, of so much, but... Putting the extractive economy literally on steroids, like, oh, you think you can mine coal with hands? Let me show you some dynamite. Yeah. And Jesus if you... If our our viewers are interested in in the incestuous, weird relationships of the super rich and privileged, they definitely should look into the the scandals that are surrounding the Nobel uh, Literature Committee in recent yeah. years. I mean, it's really bad. Yeah. They well, they just gave that. I mean, we do have to move on from this. But I was just thinking about that author who was like very pro Nazi that they just like gay or very pro like neo-nazi that they just gave an award to and a lot of people were like so um are you all trying to get shut down it was a czech guy right i think yeah and not and it was and he's pretty open about it like it was pretty scandalous but you know we can come back and cover that another time because i do want to move on to uh some a scandal at the uh, california public utilities commission and then we're going to round it out with um some of our gig economy fuckery that's going on after prop 22 but first let's talk about the fact that apparently the California Public Utilities Commission is missing around $200 million in funds that are specifically set aside to help uh, hearing and visually impaired people and California's poor pay their utility bills so, like, their power doesn't get shut off in the winter or in the summer, you know, times when you need shelter with cooling and heating and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. lead us through this one, Chris, because it is a clusterfuck from, the, from ProPublica. Yeah, so the California Public Utilities Commission removed the executive director, Alice Stebbins, uh, over allegations of nepotism. So the the subhead here from ProPublica, the headline was she noticed $200 million missing, then she was fired. The subhead is Alice Stebbins was hired to fix the finances of California's powerful utility regulator. She was fired after finding $200 million of the state's deaf, blind, and poor residents was missing. Uh, So the fact... 
of the matter is that Stebbin managed to, to identify $200 million missing for the funds for disabled and poor across California. Quote, one audit. Uh, let me actually switch this so that you can see another thing. Uh, there, yeah, we go. there we go. One audit uh, Stebbins ordered from uh, found the CPUC was doing a poor job collecting on debts. It found $49.9 million in outstanding collections as of the end of 2019. That included more than $12 million in enforcement fines, more than $22 million in telecommunications fines, and more than $14 million in reimbursable contracts. About $21.1 million had been due since before 2017. That is fucking wild. The CPUC yeah. commissioners accused Stebbins of making it up, uh, but further investigations showed that, surprise, surprise, she was right. Uh, here we go. The news organizations, uh, or here we, go. The, the, we, we should probably point out the California Public Utilities Commission has a long history of being in bed with industry. This is pretty <coughs> so much the, the, yeah, the, the definition of what we would re- refer to as regulatory capture and regulatory yeah. capture means that the regulators or the regulatory body has basically been taken over by the industry. Like the foxes aren't just in the hen house. They have been given the keys and the deed to the hen house and everybody else just and sort of turns a blind eye to what's going on. They're, they're running well, a factory farm full of chickens at this point. That's what's going on. Yeah, well, we need to remember <clears throat> that the, the whole entire idea of a publicly regulated utility or monopoly is the monopolist's last stand against being nationalized. So the the whole point of having this commission Wrap that is going to regu- <laughs> regulate uh, is the it's the capitalist's idea, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, so. Uh, the, the firing itself was was um, a bit uh, shady. Uh, quote, the news organization's investigation uh, from ProPublica uh, also found flaws in the state personnel board. Uh, report that Batcher used to terminate Stebbins. Three former CPUC employees said in an interview that the report contained falsehoods. The report alleged that the auditor who discovered the missing money was unqualified, but hiring materials obtained by the news organizations show that state officials had determined that the auditor was the most qualified candidate, awarding him an quote-unquote excellent rating in every category. I, I can't hmm. believe that the, that the five commissioners... <laughs> voted unanimously to get rid of the person who exposed their malfeasance. That's that's such a weird coincidence. It's amazing, right? It's absolutely amazing. It's uh, weird what can happen when you stack a committee. <laughs> <laughs> so Stebbins has filed a wrongful uh, death claim against the CPUC. Uh, wrong, wrongful termination. Wrong claim. termination, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. The, the <laughs> no, that... That's the kind of firing that happens in 2021. <laughs> oh, shit. It's bleak. Uh, quote, you've got just systemic issues, Stebbin said in an interview. The only way you can get through those changes is to really tear it apart. End quote. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That autocorrect is brilliant, though. Um, so the question here is really, did the CPUC retaliate against someone for looking at their crooked books and questioning their opaque culture? Well, Stebbins definitely believed so and stated, quote, when I finally was terminated, one of my team said to me, quote, you're the first person who came in here. You effectuated change and you made stuff happen. You were cleaning up the organization and they fired you, end quote. Yep. So fuck the CPUC. 
Yeah, and the the CPUC, remember, this is the body that's responsible for regulating publicly owned utility. Or uh, sorry. Privately owned utilities like PG&E, uh, publicly owned utilities like LADWP, which has been just a hotbed of scandals for the last decade um, with just all sorts of shady crap going on. You know, starting with the ratepayer scandal up through um, very questionable uh, turnoffs for customers who can't pay their bills, uh, you know, in a state that is still heavily reliant on fossil fuels, we're basically paying through the nose to have private utilities putting us at risk. Um, about a decade ago, places like PG&E were supposed to put their uh, power transmission lines underground for safety, and they all decided we're not going to do it. It costs too much money, and the CPUC is the body that was like, oh, okay, you're right, PG&E. If we made you do the safe thing, you wouldn't make enough money as the most profitable privately owned public utility in the fucking nation. And instead of actually fixing any of their hardware and equipment well now we suffer rolling brownouts and blackouts yeah. whenever yeah. there's fire danger and and I mean, uh wins. liabilities from wildfires in a single season that exceed the state of california's total budget that's amazing like our public utility our privately owned public utilities are so dangerous that they would cost us more than this entire state has to budget in a year just for one year's of one year's worth of fire damage, it is like capitalism is just such a broken system. Like yeah, at some point, yeah. you just sort of go the Camus route, and you just sort of like look at the absurdity of it all and just laugh. Like, what else are you going to do at that point? Right, nationalize that, everything and fix it. Because that's the annual budget of the world's sixth largest economy. Yeah, fifth. <laughs> not to be pedantic but yes for the fifth <laughs> i couldn't remember if it i couldn't remember if it it's fine it's fine um we, we, so, leap, we leapfrogged france a couple of years ago so yeah. but uh speaking of large economies and the uh grinding to dust of the bones of the workers uh yeah, that's exact. That's exactly the response I was hoping for from you, Scroll. Uh, Grubhub um, yeah. did not waste any fucking time. After Prop Twenty Two passed, they're just like, "All right, how can we fuck the workers as quickly and horribly as possible?" Um, yeah, so they they changed their tipping policy. So uh, let's just go ahead and dig right into this. So uh, gig workers are, are, are according to this article uh, in Ars Technica, the headline is Grubhub gig workers react angrily to change in tipping policy, which is a, <laughs> a very mild way of putting it. The subhead is default tip amount slashed following introduction of California's new employment rules. When they say slashed, they mean slashed. Went from a default of 20% to a default of 0%, uh, which is extremely slashed. So not like. <laughs> not not so much slashed as completely removed. removed. Like, I don't know yeah. why you would go with the word slashed when you're not saying slashed. It's like ended entirely. Yeah, just terminated. Yeah. So, quote, yeah. Uh, weeks after the ruling, uh, this is relating to the um, the lawsuit stopping the uh, there's there, there was there was a lawsuit that was filed following the passage of AB five that the uh, these these gig companies didn't want to have these rules being applied to them. Uh, the lawsuit was basically putting the enforcement of AB5 on hold. 
that was the, the point of it. Uh, anyway, all of it is rendered moot because of Prop 22. Um, but anyway, weeks after the ruling, quote, uh, Grubhub reduced its default tip amount from 20% to zero, adding a suggestion to, quote, leave an optional tip on top of driver benefits, end quote. Like other apps, Grubhub added an additional, quote unquote, benefit fee, in its case, $1.50 to each order in California. $1.50. Though that money is put into a centralized pot for which only a limited number of drivers are expected to fully qualify. This shit is wild. Uh, So basically, I I don't know if I have a, do I have a quote about the the requirements for it? No, I don't. Um, But you have to do 25 hours per week in order to qualify for those tips. And And like, it's, I was going to say it's it, when they're counting hours, this is one of the things that's, yep. that really is going to fuck with gig drivers. Like when I was driving a cab, um, I, you know, I was paid by the ride. Like I didn't get paid a salary or anything. I wasn't like paid if I didn't have somebody in the car and it works mm-hmm. the same when you're like working for Uber. If you're just driving around waiting for a fare to pop up, you're not technically driving for yep. Uber at that point. You're just driving for yourself. And it's not until you actually get the, get the little ping like, Hey, you have a call to go to and you actually say, I accept the drive. And then you go to that drive that you're on the clock. 60% of your time is spent waiting for fares to even pop yep. up on your app. 60% yep. of your workday is now uncompensated. And it gets worse when you look at like that story about Instacart delivery uh, uh, people who are getting dinged for like delivery things that aren't their fault. Like somebody says, I want pineapples and the grocery store is out of pineapples. And suddenly they're getting a one-star review, which is, lowering their rating and thus lowering what they get paid. Like nowhere else in the world, when you're working that kind of retail, you get rated per customer and have that decide what your hourly rate's going to be. And that's the really vicious part of this system is you're never going to be able to maintain a perfect 5.0 rating over the course of time. And somebody can write, can capriciously rank you one star and the company mm-hmm. is never going to question the customer because like you as a gig worker are just replaceable like fodder like they don't care about you but the customer they need that customer because they need that revenue because they're not actually ever going to be a profitable company they are a shell game that is mining their customers to keep the ponzi scheme afloat until they can go public and offload that debt onto the retail investor who's going to end up holding the bag when ksa and the rest of them have gotten their profit margin and bounced the fuck out of that stock like it is so bad like Uber is the ah. biggest pyramid scheme that has ever existed on the planet, and it's literally going to crash economies. Like, the the painful part of the recession hasn't hit yet. It hasn't. It's going to hit under Biden the same way it hit under Obama, and shit is going to get so fucking bleak. And so many of these companies are just money laundering operations for Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates money that has nowhere else to go after just, like, creating shit tons of wealth in the oil boom and now realizing we've hit peak oil – Oil is not going to continue to be profitable for the next 50, 100 years. We need to find some other way to keep our top-heavy economies uh, like afloat. Otherwise, we're facing a violent revolution as an atavistic monarchist state. Uh, slash rant on that one. Terry, I'm sure you want something to say also. <laughs> well, the, I, I feel like that's only uh, half the problem because uh, grinding the workers to dust is, of course, the what what is functionally happening here but but these companies like grubhub doordash and and others are also digging you know taking a slice out of the grocery stores right in the restaurants right i mean they're, oh, yeah. they're the fees the fees that they have it's something like 30 percent or something i mean it can it can add up to be just astronomically ridiculous 
Um, and so and, and yet the restaurants have no other option because if they want their food to be delivered, I mean, this is the who's going to come pick it up. Yeah. And so they're losing money. And these are these are the grocery store. I mean, we, we've said it before. Um, I think, Bushido, you said it before on, on, on this podcast, right? Like, don't feel bad right now about using these services because stay the fuck home. Right. But the the businesses that we need to stay alive right now, grocery stores and restaurants, I mean, they're being decimated by the same Ponzi scheme as well. So Absolutely. it's really it's just screwing everyone in every conceivable way. And we have so little recourse. Yeah. I mean, imagine if we had a system in which like the government funded delivery programs where you could work for like four to six weeks and then take like a month off. Uh, get regular testing, get the PPE you need, get a reasonable pay rate to do this very necessary and essential service so other people can stay home but not have not have to be dependent on that income in order for you yourself to survive. Like, imagine a world where we had, like, some form of UBI during a, a pandemic like this. Like, it's, again, yeah. such an easy solution. And, like, we, we're about to give $800 billion to the forever wars, $800 billion dollars to the forever wars it's only taking 188 billion dollars to give us all a two thousand dollar check uh, no not even a two thousand two thousand dollar check a six hundred dollar check yeah. like we could very easily just reappropriate the forever wars budget and pay most of these gig workers a very nice living and that would generate more income and more revenue to keep the economy going like the velocity of money fucking matters. Giving money to workers means that yeah. money moves through the economy. As, as if the military was not itself a form of government jobs program, right? It's exactly like, what it is. It's literally the Department of Defense, that is their core mission is to provide jobs for Americans. And like they straight up say that. If there's a job a robot can do and, and a human can do that job, they'll have the human do that job as long as it's safe because their job is to try and keep optimal employment and that is literally why the military exists so i just want to touch really quickly on the fact that with grubhub uh one of the things that i was not aware of but this is a thing that apparently is happening is that local businesses are not necessarily being approached by grubhub and giving permission to grubhub to list them on their fucking service so what they yeah. do is they find an old version of the menu they post that version of the menu allow you to order expecting that you're ordering it from that restaurant but there is no way for the restaurant to actually receive that order until a driver shows up tries to place the order in person can't get what you're supposed to get in any kind of a remotely reasonable time period and then suddenly the order is canceled and it ends up having a negative impact on you know the yelp because you know at this point yelp is effectively like a uh, a social uh you know rate credit rating uh, for a lot of these businesses and Grubhub just doesn't give a fuck. They do not give yeah. a fuck. They will just destroy your business. And like I was reading about a, a, um, a, a pastry company, like a bakery uh, that doesn't work with Grubhub was listed on Grubhub. They hire their own workers to do deliveries and they take deliveries through their website. They do not take anything off of Grubhub, but yet they are still listed on Grubhub. And apparently what happens is the drivers come by with like a Grubhub credit card that is then used to pay for these the, for these purchases. But no one knows what the fuck is going on with all that money. It's just like this giant convoluted fucking Ponzi scheme of bullshit. It's super well, fucked it, up. It gets, 
it gets better when you learn about these ghost kitchens where yeah. fly-by-night operations just start up a restaurant that has no accreditation from the health department because Grubhub, Instacart, Uber Eats, none of those bother to check your credentials. You just nope. sort of put in like, hey, I want to list my restaurant like America's best Chinese food. And you can start it out of any kitchen. A lot of them are working out of like um, catering kitchens and large commercial kitchens, but maybe not be up to like the health department standards that you need for like an actual restaurant and are operating as though they're like a restaurant that exists, but all they do is create food for Grubhub and usually in substandard conditions and create substandard fare. And if they go out of business, they don't really care. They just call themselves another company and move on next week. Like there is no risk in it for them. And because Grubhub, Uber, the rest of them don't do any due diligence because again, they don't fucking care. Their job isn't to provide you a service. Their job is to trick you into buying the stock so they can cash the fuck out of it before it crashes. They're more than happy to keep that going. And like yeah. some of the stories out of San Francisco and New York about these ghost kitchens are fucking petrifying. Just health code violations through the roof and even through the floor, like rats and roaches and like all of the stuff you don't want in your food. Literally just right there in the kitchen, ratatouille style, but not like in the good ratatouille style way. And it just reminds us, you know, because right now we're in a situation where, where mutual aid is over and over like the, the concept and the, the practice of mutual aid is over and over showing itself to be successful model of community um, self-empowerment and, and self-care. And it just reminds you that that, you know, people driving out to the grocery store to pick up for their neighbors, people, someone going to the restaurant to pick up food for their neighbor, all of that. It, these are things that people will do for for one another. And then you've got Silicon Valley just like as the middleman extracting wealth out of that relationship and it's like it just so obviously shows that we do not need any of these fucks yep. yeah absolutely uh i there's i've got another story but i don't want to go into it right now um yeah we continue from we the can article skip it for right now exactly quote the benefits are not nearly high enough to compensate for encouraging no tipping wrote one grubhub worker on reddit Quote, such bullshit to drive the wedge between this wedge between customers and drivers, wrote another. A third added, quote, this is chilling, really disappointing. Um, that's putting it very mildly, Reddit users relating to uh, this bullshit. Um, Janine, a Grubhub worker in San Francisco Bay Area, uh, told Ars Technica, quote, I keep records and there's been a complete flip. It's stunning, end quote. She shared with the Financial Times a breakdown of her tips on the platform both before and after the change. On two consecutive Saturdays, she completed the same number of orders, eight, but on the first Saturday before the change, 100% of her customers left her at least a small tip, totaling 6103. On the second Saturday, five of her eight customers left no tip, with the rest totaling 2471. The fuck? Yeah, no, I, I worked for Postmates for all of a day until I realized after about four hours and three deliveries, I'd made like $12 and that that wasn't enough to support myself, let alone feed myself for all of the caloric energy expent riding my bike between downtown and like MacArthur Park and back. Um, and that's not even with having a car where you're having to float all of that capital and gas on top of it. Like the successful displacement of capital costs from the company to the worker in the gig economy is the most fucked up part of it if you're looking at it from just a purely like Marxist economic standpoint like that is an amazing trick that they pulled uh, getting people to believe that a company that owns nothing and produces nothing is worth 50 billion dollars 
Well, and and I'm gonna have to look into this because in the run up to Christmas, you know, I'm, I'm here in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, I go for a lot of walks because God knows what else there is to do. Um, and I'm seeing people in in FedEx vests jumping out of U-Haul trucks. Yep. Right. And op- they open up the back and they shuffle through some boxes and and there they go. And it's like, are you are you kidding me? That this is like you got to go out and rent a U-Haul truck to do your job. I mean, that is. Well, a lot of it, it's it's rented by FedEx, but the same thing happens with Amazon, like where Amazon has their Amazon like drivers that are in the Amazon Prime vans. But you can also just sign up as like an Amazon gig worker. And I saw that a lot more in Phoenix than I saw it here in L.A., where like if I would order something from Amazon Prime, just some random person in their own personal car would show up with my delivery. And that weirded me out the first couple of times. And then when I found out how that system works, where you actually have to like bid on how much you're going to do a job for, and it goes to the person with the lowest bid, you've got to like guesstimate how much it's going to cost you. And you're basically working yourself to death. There are no uh, laws that come into place, whereas like you can't work a 12 hour day. You know, that's not safe to be behind the wheel for that much time without a break. Amazon doesn't give a fuck. Once you're a contractor, you have so few protections that apply to you. And here in California, we had a chance to stop them from doing this. And what we did instead was give them carte blanche. And now they're taking it to all 49 other states. Like Prop 22 is coming to the rest of the country, and it is going to absolutely decimate us. Yep. Yeah. It's all fucked up. All right. All right. Well, uh, I feel like we're ending on an optimistic note. So um, (laughs) you want (laughs) to – yeah, go ahead, Terry. Well, just just remember, right, by the time that the the gig workers in across sectors uh, finally – develop class uh, consciousness and solidarity and go on strike uh all of the other services like taxi cabs and 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 the postal office and everything else that does these things will have been driven out of business by the predatory pricing of instacart and uber and amazon (sighs) capitalism look i'd say I'd say abandon all hope ye who enter here but there's a five dollar service charge on that so (laughs) I'm just, I'm just thinking. You know what? It's like the 2020 is coming to a close. I'm going to put the new calendar on the wall, and everything is going to be different. Yeah, yeah. Keep hoping. I got my Yoga Cats calendar up on the wall, and they're they're giving me life. Nice. Uh, well, things coming up this week. Um, I don't think we're going to be doing a live show uh, on Wednesday for Knock at Night. Are we going to be doing that? No, I think we're going to be back uh, the second next, week of, yeah, uh, of January. Week. So we're probably going to take next week off. Um, oh, okay, two weeks. Yeah, we got some. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we got some. Oh, you mean this Wednesday too? Because it's only Monday. Wow, it's Monday. Time, time is a it's whole thing. thing. Yeah, um, I don't think there's a show I, this week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think there's going to be one next week. We we are doing some rejiggering of the Knock at Night show. So uh, when we do come back live, get ready. We're going to have some fun stuff planned. We're going to be rolling into the new year strong. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be really really good. Um, I'm super looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. We're also there's not a whole lot going on. Uh, a lot of people are still in vacation mode, especially since we've got uh, New Year's coming up on Friday, which. Um, Hooray! We made it. We, we should actually all be proud of that. Um, and also somewhat sad and remember all of the people who didn't make it because uh, at this point we have lost more Americans than World War II. 
Yeah. Uh, also, the the Power uh, Community Healthcare Workers uh, program is still looking for donations. Uh, I do believe uh, bit.ly/powerchw all lowercase. Uh, that is a great way to be able to give money directly to uh, our sister organization and uh, fund the very very good work that is very very necessary because our elected officials have completely fucked us over. Um, I will be doing more live tweets in two weeks because we still do not have any city council meetings until the 12th, uh, which is absolutely fucking wild when you think about it. But here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. LAX is still open and operating folks. But everyone is being asked to quarantine and I'm sure, I'm sure everyone transiting through LAX is, is going to be quarantining. I'm sure every single of the millions of people who have (laughs) flown over the past two weeks are totally going to do the safe thing. Yeah. They're required by law to quarantine with no enforcement whatsoever. It's literally just a fill out this paper and tell us that you're going to be quarantining for the next two weeks. (laughs) It's so fucked up. Uh, Anyway, uh, please give donations to mutual aid, uh, give donations to the community healthcare worker um, program. Uh, We need your help. Uh, And as always, if you guys have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the ground game LA Facebook page. You can find us over on Instagram and on Twitter at ground game LA. And of course this podcast and every ground game podcast is a production of knock.la. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. And you can follow us on Twitter at knock.la spelled out K N O C K D O T L A. Check the description of this podcast for sources, links to actions and social media links. <sighs> Fucking 2020. Yeah. This is the last time that we're going to be talking in 2020 on a yeah. podcast. I am as, so ready uh, for it to be done. As uh, you know, my motto going into the next year coming from uh, Mr. Kurt Vonnegut, everything was beautiful and nothing hurt. Thank you all for joining us for this year for the past, God damn. For the past, three years almost holy shit i've been doing this for a while it's it's kind of scary time flies um terry thank you very much for hopping in and joining us uh looking forward to doing more of this with you next year um and to the rest of y'all you know stay safe out there stay warm uh we'll catch on the other side thanks everybody happy new year i guess (laughs) happier than the old Fair enough, fair enough. All right, have a uh, have a safe new year everybody. Uh see you on the flip side. Bye.